Come on, come all, come gather around. Come hear tales both lost and found. Finally, show not about true crime. It's David and Michael Story Time. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Story Time. I'm David Miller, and I'm quarantined Michael Santel. <laughs> we hope everyone is staying safe and continuing to stay in place. As David, we are. I got yes. I I got face masks, and I look like a ninja in them, and I love them. We have cloth ones that are on the way. We ordered from Etsy. We don't know what color they'll be because they're just making them and then sending them out. So we don't know. Uh, we each have one disposable one that we've used twice. And so we're like, I don't know how much more life we have in this. <laughs> we have the cloth ones that are black that go around my ear. And then before that, I was using a bandana. I think I'm a, bada- a bandana man. I love bandana bandanas. Man? I like it around my <laughs> neck. It, feel, it makes me feel confident. It's nice knowing I have a portable napkin whenever I need it. I really uh-huh. like bandanas. Okay. All right. I did it. That's, that's a real a positive thing coming out of this uh, this uh, virus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Now, yeah. So. Yeah. I'm a little worried about today's episode. Why is that? Well, I'm in my very comfy, comfy, comfy nook right now. Sure. I don't. I'm usually in a way more. I'm usually eye contact with you. I'm afraid I might get. I'm, I'm gonna just try not to get too sleepy. Don't As get too my, sleepy. In my little nook. In my little nook. You just can't hold me to you sleep. You have to be actively listening and and ask questions if you need. That'll keep okay. You, that'll keep you involved. I appreciate it. Uh, everyone at home, you also ask questions out yeah. loud, but yeah. just so you know that you're alive. It's <laughs> <laughs> just to check in with yourself. It's nice to have a little human interaction, even if it's with yourself. Listen, we're very lucky that we get to be quarantined with people animals and animal animals. I feel like yeah. there's a lot of... I, I just true. have things to pet. I have other things to talk with in yeah, the house. Yeah, we've got two cats here and, and a girlfriend. Right, right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, we are continuing today in The Prince and the Pauper. Yay! Yeah, um, so let's just briefly go back over a little review of where we left off. Do you remember? Again, I always, I just keep going back to that big fancy Last dinner time we said this story, we were all the face-to-face rules. in person. That's right, that's right. Um, okay, he already ate the dinner and everything was yeah, fine that with was, the dinner. that was the episode before. Uh-huh. Oh, we met a dad, did all the crazy stuff with his uh, country bumpkin to see the kids. <laughs> yeah. We, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, our real prince, who they yes. think is a poor kid, got named yes. Fru-Fru because he's so fancy. Fufu the first. Fufu the first. That's right. Yeah. That was the last thing we saw. Yeah. And they were all in this little, uh, kind of like, uh, like abandoned barn. And, like, staying the night there. And it was this traveling band of, like, bandits and beggars and all that kind of stuff. And many of them were, like, lying about that. Like, one guy who pretended to have only one leg actually had two. One guy who pretended to be blind could see. Yeah, they were a mixture between, like, carny folk and some sort of, like... They're, like, like thieves and ruffians and scoundrels. And, you know, they kind of travel around and then they split up. And Well, you'll see. Now, how do I accuse them of having gypsy-like ways without uh-huh. inferring that they themselves are gypsy or part of the Roma? You just you just talk about what they do without saying the word gypsy. That's okay, all. okay. <laughs> they travel around. They're like vagrants. Okay, okay, and they steal from people. Yeah, that's how you a do it. A lot like being... vagrants. Yeah, that's how you do that without being a. Um... 
inappropriate. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, oh, I don't even have it up. Let me pull it up. I do have it up. It's just Get a different tab. Get your story it's ready. Open tab. the it's other here. tab. I have no tabs open. I just have right. you. So for the last few episodes, we've actually had pretty long chapters where they've had like a full chapter and like that's the whole episode. Yeah. Uh, to, today, I'm hoping to get through three chapters. They're slightly shorter um, and yeah, they all kind of go. go together. This also, <laughs> uh, because it's kind of funny that we're in quarantine because all of these chapters are about kind of like different people that he meets and interacts <laughs> with. So <laughs> here we go. We get a bunch uh, of so- bottle episodes. Uh, well, it's all continuing, but sure. Um, so this is chapter 18. Uh-huh. And so do you have a, a prediction of the chapter title? Oh, chapter 18 is called uh, an, en- uh, an Enchanting Encounter. Okay. Chapter 18, The Prince with the Tramps. Oh, no, I don't know how enchanting it's going to be. Okay. <laughs> The troop of vagabonds turned out at early dawn and set forward on their march. There was a lowering sky overhead, sloppy ground underfoot, and a winter chill in the air. All gaiety was gone from the company. Some were sullen and silent, some were irritable and petulant, none were gentle-humored. All were thirsty. Because of that sloppy ground. Real horny bunch. Yeah, man. Uh, (laughs) Uh, The ruffler put Jack, quote-unquote, because that's our main character, our prince turned poor person. They're calling him Jack, right? Sure. Uh, how do I get Jack. the title? How do I get the title of the Ruffler? The Ruffler? You're yeah. that's like the leader of the group. Oh, okay, great. That's a yeah. great title. He's like the leader guy who they talked to last night. The Ruffler put Jack in Hugo's charge with some brief instructions and commanded John Canty, the like asshole dad, to uh-huh. keep away to keep away from him and let him alone. He also warned Hugo, the other kid, not to be too rough with the lad. After a while, the weather grew milder, the clouds lifted somewhat. The troops ceased to shiver, and their spirits began to improve. They grew more and more cheerful, and finally began to chaff each other and insult passengers along the highway. This showed that they were awakening to an appreciation of life and its joys once more. The dread in which their sort, uh, the dread in which their sort was held, was apparent in the fact that everybody gave them the road and took their ribald ins- insolences meekly, without venturing to talk back. They snatched linen from hedges, occasionally in full view of the owners, who made no protest but only seemed grateful that they did not take the hedges too. God damn it, you get to you lose your matching sheet set when the rufflers come to town. <laughs> right? If you're walking along the road and you see them walking by, you like walk off to the side of the road and then they all insult you as you pass by and you just kinda like ah shake it off. It's not worth it's not worth talking back. It's not worth it. They're gonna Mm-mm. fucking murder you and steal all your linens. <laughs> By and by, they invaded a small farmhouse and made themselves at home while the trembling farmer and his people swept the larder clean to furnish a breakfast for them. They chucked the housewife and her daughters under the chin whilst receiving the food from their hands and made coarse jests about them, accompanied with insulting epithets and bursts of hoarse laughter. That's a home invasion! None of this is okay! This is bad now! They went into this farmhouse and made this family make breakfast for them. That's awful! while they, like, you know, like, touch the chins of, like, the ladies and were like, oh, this one's pretty. <laughs> blah, 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 Don't blah. do it. It's bad. <laughs> they threw bones and vegetables at the farmer and his sons, kept them dodging all the time, and applauded uproariously when a good hit was made. <laughs> they, en- they ended by okay so i don't know what this phrase means and i tried to look it up and i couldn't find an answer david i am a master at telling you context let me hear it they ended by buttering the head of one of the daughters who resented some of their familiarities so one of the daughters was like hey fuck you for saying that or whatever don't touch me and they buttered her head 
I think it did means... they literally just put butter? Like, did they throw butter at her? No, I think it means they like slapped her back and <laughs> maybe forth. like battered like, her. Yeah, like, like yeah. You put butter on a piece of toast. That's what I thought, but I was like, that's a kind of a of an odd uh, uh, phrase. But all right, I tried looking it up, and the internet just kept being like, "You mean buttering someone up, like to compliment them a bunch?" And I was like, "No, that's not what these." No, that's did. not what happened. <laughs> When they took their leave, they threatened to come back and burn the house over the heads of the family if any report of their doings got to the ears of the authorities. Yeah, they threatened to butter that house up if they didn't, if yeah. they uh, told anybody. Yeah. About noon, after a long and weary tramp, the gang came to a halt behind a hedge on the outskirts of a considerable village. An hour was allowed for rest, and then the crew scattered themselves abroad to enter the village at different points to ply their various trades. Jack was sent with Hugo. They wandered hither and thither for some time, Hugo watching for opportunities to do a stroke of business, but finding none. So he finally said, I see not to steal. It is a paltry place. Wherefore, we will beg. We uh, for <laughs> What's when up? You said, when you said the gang, I just pictured like a Always Sunny in Philadelphia open, like, the gang home, the gang in the home. <laughs> and then the music starts playing. <laughs> it would work just fine. Yeah. Uh, so he says, uh, wherefore we will beg, because there's nothing to steal. We forsooth follow thy trade, it befits thee, but I will not beg. Thou'lt not beg, exclaimed Hugo, eyeing the king with surprise. Prithee, since when hast thou reformed? What dost thou mean? Mean, hast thou not begged the streets of London thy whole life? I, thou idiot, spare thy compliments, thy stock will last longer. Thy father says thou hast begged all thy days, mayhap he lied. Preventure you will even make so bold as to say he lied, scoffed Hugo. Him you call my father? Yes, he lied. <laughs> Come, play not the merry game of madman so far, mate. Use it for thy amusement, not thy hurt. And I tell him this, he will scorch thee finally for it. So basically like, hey, we're gonna beg. No, I'm not gonna beg. Hey, you've always begged. Your dad said so. That's not my dad. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, like that's where we're at. <laughs> uh, and this is, uh, again, this is our Prince Frufru, correct? He's the one who's like... This is, this is like... our prince and the other kid who he was like paired off with to go Ugh. make your money for the day. It's worse when your parents, when you meet other kids, because your parents are like, your kids, go be friends with them. And you're like, all yeah. right, what do you, what yeah. toys you got in your room? Yeah, and so then, so then uh, Edward is like, yeah, no, he lied. I'm not his son. And then um, the other kid is like, oh, well, he's going to beat you when I tell him that you say he lied. And so the king says, save thyself the trouble. I will tell him. <laughs> so he says, I like thy spirit. I do in truth, but I do not admire thy judgment. Bone rackings and bastings be plenty enough in this life without uh, going out of one's way to invite them. But a truce to these matters. I believe your father. I doubt he can, I doubt not he can lie. I doubt not he doth lie upon occasion, for the best of us do that. But there is no occasion here. A wise man does not waste so good a commodity as lying for naught. But come, Sith, it is thy humor to give over begging, wherewithal shall we busy ourselves with robbing kitchens the king said impatiently have done with this folly you weary me <laughs> hugo, re <laughs> hugo replied with temper now harky mate you will not beg you will not rob so be it but i will tell you that you will what you will do you will play decoy whilst i beg refuse and you think you may venture the king was about to what's up Nothing. You don't have to listen. I don't. You don't have to rob. That's fine. But I'm gonna be doing some shit, and you gotta watch out for my. You have bet. to at least like be my lookout, right? Like, yeah. Right. Make sure nothing shady's going on, so I can do my <laughs> shady business. The king was about to reply contemptuously when Hugo said, interrupting, 
Peace, here comes one with a kindly face. Now will I fall down in a fit, when the stranger runs to me, set you up a wail, and fall to your knees, seeming to weep, then cry out as all the devils of misery were in your belly, and say, Oh, sir, it is my poor afflicted brother, and we be friendless. Oh, God's name cast through your merciful eyes one pitiful look upon a sick, forsaken, and most miserable wretch. Bestow one little penny out of thy riches upon one smitten of God, and ready to perish. And mind you, keep you on wailing, and abate not until we bilk him of his penny, else you shall rue it. Classic tactics, classic, mm -hmm, my mm -hmm. friends beat, my friends all sick, we got nobody, we just need just a couple of bucks, bro. Yep. Then immediately Hugo began to moan and groan and roll his eyes and reel and totter about, and when the stranger was close at hand, down he sprawled before him with a shriek and began to writhe and wallow in the dirt in seeming agony. Oh dear, oh dear, cried the benevolent stranger. Oh poor soul, poor soul, how he doth suffer. Here, let, let me help thee up. Oh noble sir, forbear, and God love you for a princely gentleman, but it giveth me a cruel pain to touch me when I am taken so. My brother there will tell your worship how I am racked with anguish when these fits be upon me. A penny, dear sir, a penny, to buy a little food, and then leave me to my sorrows. A penny, thou shalt have thee, thou hapless creature, and he fumbled in his pocket with a nervous haste and got them out. There, poor lad, take them and most welcome. Now come hither, my boy, and help me carry thy sicken brother, uh, thy stricken brother, to yon house where you got I... two pennies. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's like pieces, like farthings that are like pieces, oh, like an eighth of a so penny, got, right? Like the equivalent of a penny. Yeah. Um, uh, so help me carry thy stricken brother to yon house, where I am not his brother, said the king, interrupting. <laughs> He's ruining the grift, you gotta play along! What? Not his brother? Oh, hear him, groaned Hugo, then privately ground his teeth. He denies his own brother, and he with one foot in the grave. Boy, thou art indeed hard of heart, if this is uh, if this is thy brother, for shame, and he scarce be able to move hand or foot. If he is not thy brother, who is he then? A beggar and a thief. Oh, he no, no, he your... called out the game. You're not supposed <laughs> to say this. <laughs> he has got your money and has picked your pocket likewise. And thou wouldst do a healing miracle, lay thy staff over his shoulders and trust providence for the rest. But Hugo did not tarry for a miracle. In a moment he was up and off like the wind, the gentleman following after and raising the hue and cry lustily as he went. The king, breathing deep gratitude to heaven for his own release, fled in the opposite direction and did not slacken his pace until he was out of harm's reach. He took the first row that offered and soon put the village behind him. He hurried along as briskly as he could during several hours, keeping a nervous watch over his shoulder for pursuit. But his fears left him at last, and a grateful sense of security took their place. He recognized now that he was hungry and also very tired, so he halted at a farmhouse. But when he was about to speak, he was cut short and driven rudely away. His clothes were against him. Oh, so he like... If yeah. when you're on the road, if you need to get in so if you need help from somebody, you have to break into their house and then hold them hostage. That's yeah, you how you can't it's just go ask them because you're dressed like a beggar, and so they're gonna just say fuck you. Uh, uh, but the king, he got out of there. He's away. He yeah, ran so away. He, I thought it was pretty clever. He like called the game out, so then the kid had to run, and the guy chased the kid, and he's like, all right, well, I'm piecing out, and then he left. Yeah, and then he went to a fork in a road, and now he's going. He's and lost he's, somewhere and then in the country. And he just went for hours, like down the road, so that he could try to get away from them. Yeah. Ugh, awful. He wandered on, wounded and indignant, and was resolved to put himself in the way of like treatment no more. But hunger is pride's master, so as the evening drew near, he made an attempt at another farmhouse. But here he fared worse than before, for he was called hard names and was promised arrest as a vagrant, except he pr moved on promptly. Hard names, they called him. Get out of here, cement face in your brick eyes! <laughs> 
The night came on, chilly and overcast, and still the footsore monarch labored slowly on. He was obliged to keep moving, for every time he sat down to rest, soon he was penetrated to the bone with cold. All his sensations and experiences, as he moved through the solemn gloom and empty vastness of the night, were new and strange to him. At intervals he heard voices approach, pass by, and fade into silence, and as he saw nothing more of the bodies they belonged to uh, than a sort of formless and drifting blur, there was something spectral and uncanny about it that made him shudder. Occasionally he caught twinkle of a light, always far away, apparently, almost in another world, as if he heard the tinkle of a sheep's bell. It was vague, distant, indistinct. The muffled lowering of herds floated to him on the night wind in vanishing cadences, a mournful sound. Now and then came the complaining howl of a dog over viewless expanses of field and forest. All sounds were remote. They made the little king feel that all life and activity were far removed from him, and that he stood solitary, companionless, in the center of a measureless solitude. Happy quarantine, everybody. Happy quarantine, everybody. <laughs> I, I read that this that passage this morning and was like, wow, that's very... Uh, <laughs> that's our that life, and activity David. were far removed yeah. from him, and he stood solitary, companionless, in the center of a measureless solitude. Ugh. <laughs> he stumbled along through the gruesome fascinations of this new experience, startled occasionally by the soft rustling of dry leaves overhead. So, like human whispers, they seemed to sound, and by and by, he came suddenly upon the freckled light of a tin lantern near at hand. He stepped back into the shadows and waited. The lantern stood by the open door of a barn. The king waited some time. There was no sound and nobody stirring. He got so cold standing still and the hospitable barn looked so enticing that at last he resolved to risk everything and enter. He barns started... suck. Like they always talk about but, bar- they always talk about barns like like being oh, a nice we'll go, cozy barn. Oh, we'll go jump in the haylock. Hay sucks. Barns are yeah, weird. it's dirty and it's smelly in there or whatever. But like if you're outside in the cold and it's literally a, a building where you can be inside and not have the wind and stuff like i get that's... it i just feel like as i grew up i just learned that barns are not a fun barns are not as, as uh, <laughs> rosy as they seem yeah um where was he the barn um everything and enter he started swiftly and stealthily and just as he was crossing the threshold he heard voices behind him he darted behind a cask within the barn and stooped down Two farm laborers came in, bringing the lantern with them, and fell to work, talking meanwhile. Whilst they moved about with the light, the king made good use of his eyes and took the bearings of what seemed to be a good-sized stall at the further end of the place, purposing to grope his way to it when he should be left to himself. He also noted the position of a pile of horse blankets midway on the route, with the intent to levy upon them for the service of the crown of King of England for one night. By and by, the men finished and went away, fastening the door behind them and taking the lantern with them. The I was locked king... in the barn! Yeah, so he went in the barn because it was open and there was a lantern near it. So he's like, oh, there's an open barn. And he, like, waited to see if anyone was around, but nothing happened. And he got cold, so he went inside. And then As he was going in, in he heard hid. people coming, so he hid. They worked in the barn for a while, and now they left. And now he's going to fall asleep in the horse blankets. Yeah, and then he made note of, like, oh, there's, like, a, a pen over, like, a horse stable, like, at the end that's big. And there's some blankets on the way. Uh, by and by, the men finished and went away, fastening the door behind them and taking the lantern with them. The shivering king made for the blankets, with as good a speed as darkness would allow, and gathered them up, then groped his way safely to the stall. Of two of the blankets, he made a bed, then covered himself with the remaining two. He was glad. He was a glad monarch now, though the blankets were old and thin and not quite warm enough, and besides, gave out a pungent, horsey odor that was almost suffocatingly powerful. Although the, although the king was those hungry are horse, and chilly. Those are horse farts, right? That's, that's, that's what he's I talking mean, about. They're blankets that have just been used on horses and sitting here on the floor. When's the last time someone washed the horse blankets? 
Oh, probably never. Yeah. Never once. Yeah. They smell like horse farts. Yeah. Although the king was hungry and chilly, he was also so tired and so drowsy that these latter influences soon began to get advantage of the former, and presently he dozed off into a state of semi-consciousness. Then, just as he was on the point of losing himself wholly, he distinctly felt something touch him. He was broad awake in a moment, and gasping for breath. The cold horror of that mysterious touch in the dark almost made his heart stand still. He lay motionless and listened, scarcely breathing, but nothing stirred and there was no sound. He continued to listen and wait during what seemed a long time, but nothing stirred and there was no sound. So he began to drop into a drowse once more and at last, uh, and all at once he felt that mysterious touch again. It was a grisly thing, this light touch from this noiseless and invisible presence. It made the boy sick with ghostly fears. What should he do? That was the question, but he did not know how to answer it. Should he leave these reasonably comfortable quarters and fly from this inscrutable horror? But fly whither? He could not get out of the barn, and with the idea of scurrying blindly hither and thither in the dark, within the captivity of the four walls, with this phantom gliding after him and visiting him in that soft, hideous touch upon his cheek or shoulder at every turn, that was intolerable. It's a ghost, David! I think it's a ghost! But to stay where he was and endure this living death all night, was that better? No. What then was there left to do? Ah, there was but one course, and he knew it well. He must put out his hand and find that thing. <laughs> that's the thought process you go to when you're a kid and you're like what's happening is there a ghost what's going I, on I what do i do put my hand down and see what shakes it <laughs> it was easy to think this but it was hard to brace himself up to try it three times he stretched his hand a little way out into the dark gingerly and then snatched it suddenly back with a gasp not because it encountered anything but because he had felt so sure it was just going to but by the <laughs> but by the fourth time he groped a little further and his hand lightly swept against something soft and warm a this horse. petrified him nearly with fright his mind was in such a state that he could imagine the thing would be nothing else than a corpse, newly dead and still warm. He thought he would rather die than touch it again, but he thought this false thought because he did not know the immortal strength of human curiosity. In no long time, his hand was tremblingly groping again, against his judgment and without his consent, but groping persistently on, just the same. It encountered a bunch of long hair. He shuddered, but followed up the hair and found what seemed to be a warm rope. He followed the rope and found an innocent calf. For the rope was not a rope at all, but the calf's tail. Hooray! He found some breakfast! <laughs> no, it's a horse calf. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought he was going to murder it and eat it. The king was... Well, he wouldn't even know how to do that anyway, right? He'd have to have people do that for him. <laughs> I don't know what knowledge he has before coming into the situation. Maybe he knows how to The knowledge of being a, a boy in, in pure privilege. So he never butchered and prepared a meal. Maybe he read about it in a book. You don't know. He's maybe. very maybe well he educated. Did. The king was cordially ashamed of himself for having gotten all that fright and misery out of so paltry a matter as a slumbering calf, but he need not have felt so about it, for it was not the calf that frightened him, but a dreadful non-existent something which the calf stood for, and any other boy, in those old superstitious times, would have acted and suffered just as he had done. I like... I like that Mark Twain often... It's a few times now that he's been like, oh, these people were in very superstitious times, writing from his very worldly 1800s, right? Like, <laughs> I would still... If, if I was sleeping in some stranger's barn and something touched my hand, I would instantly <laughs> think it was something paranormal. I yeah. instantly think it's a fucking chupacabra or something. I don't give a shit what year it is. My mind always goes there. Yeah. 
The king was not only delighted to find the creature was only a calf, but delighted to have the calf's company, for he had been feeling so lonesome and friendless that the company and comradeship of even this humble animal were welcome. And he had been so buffeted, so rudely entreated by his own kind, that it was a real comfort to him to feel that he was at last in the society of a fellow creature that had at least a soft heart and gentle spirit, whatever loftier attributes might be lacking. So he resolved He's to wave rank... accepted by the cow society. He will now become a cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he resolved to wave rank and make friends with the calf. While stroking its sleek, warm back, for it lay near him with, within easy reach, it occurred to him that this calf might be utilized in more ways than one. Whereupon he rearranged his bed, spreading it down close to the calf, and then cuddled himself up to the calf's back, drew the covers up over himself and his friend, and in oh, a minute no, or two was as warm and comfortable. And in a minute or two was warm and comfortable as he had ever been in the downy couches of Regal Palace of Westminster. Pleasant thoughts came at once. Life took on a cheerful or seeming. He was free of the bonds and servitude of crime, free of companionship of base and brutal outlaws. He was warm and sheltered. In a word, he was happy. The night wind was rushing, it swept by in fitful gusts that made the old barn quake and rattle, and then its forces died down at intervals and went to moaning and wailing around corners and projections. But it was all music to the king, now that he was snug and comfortable. Let it blow and rage, let it batter and bang, let it moan and wail. He was warm, uh, oh, he minded it not, he only enjoyed it. He merely snuggled closer to his friend, in the luxury of warm contentment, and drifted blissfully out of consciousness into a deep and dreamless sleep that was full of serenity and peace." The distant dogs howled, and melancholy, melancholy kind complained, uh, and the winds went on raging, whilst furious sheets of rain drove along the roof. But the majesty of England slept on undisturbed, and the calf did the same, it being a simple creature, and not easily troubled by storms or embarrassed by sleeping with a king. Uh, so they did have sex. I do. I feel like you've really hit that point home now. Uh, but they're not ashamed about it. They're not ashamed about it. They're not ashamed of his horse body at all. Uh, I'm so happy that our king finally got a good night's sleep. Like a yeah, real it was a, it's been sleep. a rough one. Yeah, and and good thing he found this barn because suddenly it started raining and shit. I wonder if he has any like horse, bl- like blankets made of horse in his house because he like like it just just the <laughs> horse smell like his favorite couch. Like I'm just I'm just happy. I'm happy he finally had a win. <laughs> Great, and that's the end of that chapter. So we're on to the next chapter. Chapter 19. Chapter 19. It's called, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Because he's got to go meet that horse family. That's not what it's called, but uh, you're going to be happy with what plays out in this uh, (laughs) This It's a dinner where you meet the horse family. Well, it would be breakfast, wouldn't it? Well, you got to sneak them out the back, David, and you'll see. You'll see. Chapter 19. The Prince with the Peasants. Oh, okay, so great. The, yeah, so the last chapter was the prince with the tramps. Now yeah. it's the prince with the peasants. And that's fine. They can, he can just be poor with peasants. Maybe some peasants mm-hmm. will take care of him. Uh, when the king awoke in the early morning, he found that a wet but thoughtful rat... Uh, sorry. A wet but thoughtful rat had crept into the place during the night and made a cozy bed for itself in his bosom. Oh, no! Just, so he's sleeping with a horse, but a tiny rat's sleeping with him? That's right. <laughs> Being disturbed now, it scampered away. The boy smiled and said, Poor fool, why so fearful? I am as forlorn as thou. T'would be a sham in me to hurt the helpless, who am myself so helpless. Moreover, I owe you thanks for a good omen, for when a king has fallen so low that the very rats do make a bed of him, it surely meaneth that his fortunes be upon the turn, since it is plain he can no lower go. So he's like, all right, cool, that's fine. He's yeah, not worried the rat about the rat. didn't bite me to death, so I guess I, my luck's turning around. Yeah. Okay. 
He got up and stepped out of the stall, and just then he heard the sound of children's voices. The barn door kept uh, the barn door opens, and a couple of little girls came in. Soon they saw him. Uh, as soon as soon as they saw him, their talking and laughing ceased, and they stopped and stood still, gazing at him with a strong curiosity. They presently began to whisper together, and as they approached nearer and stopped again to gaze and whisper. I believe he's a horse fucker. Yes, I believe he's a horse fucker. <laughs> by and by, they gathered courage and began to discuss him aloud. One said. He hath a comely face, the other added, oh! and pretty hair, <laughs> but is ill-clothed enough, and how starved he looketh. They came still nearer, sidling shyly around and about him, examining him minutely from all points, as if he were some strange new kind of animal, but warily and watchfully uh, the while, as if they half feared he might be a sort of animal that would bite upon occasion. Finally, they halted before him, holding each other's hands for protection, and took a satisfying stare with their innocent eyes. One of them plucked up her courage and inquired with the honest directness, Who art thou, boy? <laughs> I am the king, was the grave answer. Oh no, he's crazy, this poor beggar boy. The children gave a little start, and their eyes spread themselves wide open and remained so during a speechless half-minute. Then the curiosity broke the silence. The king? What king? The king of England. The children looked at each other, and then at him, and then at each other again, wonderingly, perplexedly, and then one said, Didst hear him, Marjorie? He said he is the king. Can that be true? How else can it be? Uh, how else? How can it else? Oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. How, how many ways can you put these words together in a sentence? Seriously. I don't know. Marjorie how can figured it, it out. How can it be else but true, Prissy? Would he say a lie? For look you, Prissy, and it were not true, it would be a lie. Surely it would be. Now think on it. For all things that be not true be lies. Thou canst make not else out of it. It was a good tight argument, without a leak in it anywhere. <laughs> well, this Prissy really is a good lawyer. And it left Prissy's half-doubts not a leg to stand on. She considered a moment, and then put the king upon his honor with the simple remark, If thou art truly the king, then I believe thee. I am truly the king. This settled the matter. <laughs> <laughs> Children get it. He said it. Yeah, it's got to be true. He said it. It's got to be true. And so if he's truly the king, then she should believe him. And so, you know, she does. <laughs> His majesty's royalty was accepted without further question or discussion. And the two little girls began at once to inquire into how he came to be where he was and how he came to be so unroyally clad and whither he was bound and all about his affairs. It was a mighty relief to him to pour out his troubles where they would not be scoffed at or doubted. So he told his whole tale with feeling, forgetting even his hunger for the time, and it was received with the deepest and tenderest of sympathy by the gentle little maids. But when he got down to his latest experiences and they learned how long he had been without food, they cut him short and hurried him away to the farmhouse to find a breakfast for him. The king was cheerful and happy now, and said to himself, When I am come to mine own again, I will always honor little children, remembering how that these trusted and believed in me when, in my time of trouble, whilst that... Whilst they that were older and thought themselves wiser mocked me and held me for a liar. I mean, yeah. does he understand the position, though, that he's putting people in? I mean, I, I feel for everyone in this situation. Yay for the little girls. But I get it. If some little kid said, I'm the fucking prince, I'd say, you a liar, kid. Go find your parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The children's mother received the king kindly and was full of pity for his forlorn condition and apparently crazed intellect touched her womanly heart. She was a widow and rather poor, and consequently she had seen trouble enough to enable her to feel for the unfortunate. 
She imagined that the demented boy had wandered away from his friends or keepers, so she tried to find out when, whence he had come, in order she might make measures to return him. But all her references to neighboring towns and villages and all her inquiries, inquir inquiries into the same line went for nothing. The boy's face and his answers, too, showed that the things she was talking of were not familiar to him. He spoke earnestly and simply about court matters and broke down more than once when speaking of the late king, his father. But whenever the conversation changed to baser topics, he lost interest and became silent. The woman was mightily puzzled, but she did not give up. As she proceeded with her cooking, she set herself to contriving devices to surprise the boy into portraying his real secret. She talked about cattle. He showed no concern. Then about sheep, the same result. So her guess that he had been a shepherd boy was an error. She talked about mills and about weavers, tinkers, smiths, trades and tradesmen of all sorts. About bedlam and jails and charitable retreats. But no matter, she was Tinker, baffled at all tailors, points. Tinkers, soldiers, spies, <laughs> none of them work. Uh-huh. Not altogether, uh, not altogether either, for she argued that she narrowed the thing down to domestic service. Yes, she was sure she was on the right track now. She must, he must have been a house servant. So she led up to that. But the result was discouraging. The subject of sweeping appeared weary to him. Fire building failed to stir him. And scrubbing and scouring awoke no enthusiasm. The good wife touched with a perishing hope, and rather as a matter of form upon the subject of cooking. To her surprise and her vast delight, the king's face lighted at once. Ah, she'd hunted him down at last, she thought. And she was right proud, too, of the devious shrewdness and tact which she had accomplished it. Of course he's excited when she brings up cooking. He's been hungry for, like, t days. He's been hungry? for days they brought him inside and now he's having to answer another 30 fucking questions yeah and all the food like he's used to really decadent food his whole life and now all the food he's had for the past few days even when he was like he's been very hungry but like the past few days all he's had is like shit poor people food right like <laughs> damn it that's the worst thing i've ever heard that makes no sense like oh the food doesn't satiate him he's like oh, this doesn't have brown butter no, on like, it like 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 she's talking about cooking not just food in general yeah, oh. so like he's getting really excited because he's like He's very hungry, and the only food he's had the past yeah. few days, what little Slop there was, was, was very yeah. kind of shit compared sure, to what he's sure, used sure, to. Sure, 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 And so he's, like, getting to finally talk about, like, good food again, Listen, you know? I can't wait to talk about food. There, I want to eat all I'm the food the in the world. I'm I not the person for you for that to conversation. I get out of quarantine and eat food. I know. <laughs> I wish you would talk about food with me. <laughs> Uh, her tired tongue got a chance to rest now, for the kings, inspired by gnawing hunger and the fragrant smells that came from the sputtering pots and pans, turned itself loose and delivered itself to such an eloquent dissertation upon certain toothsome dishes that within three minutes the woman said to herself, Of a truth I was right, he hath help in the kitchen. Then he broadened his bill of fare and discussed it with such appreciation and animation that the good wife said to herself, Good lack, how can he know so many dishes and so fine ones withal? For these being only, uh, th these belong only on the tables of the rich and great. Ah, now I see. He's a I waiter! See. He's a waiter! Ragged kid. outcast as he is, he must have served in the palace before his reason went astray. Yes, he must have helped in the very kitchen of the king himself. I will test him. Oh, he must have been like a cook for the king, and then when the king died, they released him, and now he's poor. Sure. Yeah. Full of eagerness to prove, uh, full of full of eagerness to prove her sagacity, sagacity. Sag I think it's sagacity. I believe sageness. I believe right? Like I believe it's pronounced sagagenesis. <laughs> Real talk. That was like one of my favorite systems of all time. Sega. I loved my Genesis. All right, moving on. 
Uh, she told the king to mind the cooking a moment, hinting that he might manufacture and add a dish or two if he chose, and then she went out of the room and gave her children a sign to follow after. The king muttered, Another English king had a commission like to this in a bygone time. It is nothing against my dignity to undertake an office which the great Alfred stooped to assume, but I will try better to serve my trust than he, for he let the cakes burn. Okay, so he's... Listening. Little British history for you there. Yeah, uh, Alfred other... the Great. Yeah, there's he was a story he like, of how like he... cooking and stuff like that. <laughs> well, there was a story, I think, of once how he was... He had to watch the, over the cooking. Not that he liked to, but he, like, had to do it one day, and he stooped to that level. And, oh, Alfred the Great, he let the cakes burn. He wasn't that great when it came to cake watching, now was he? <laughs> yeah. The intent was good, but the performance was not answerable to it, for this king, like the other one, soon fell into deep thinkings concerning his vast affairs, and the same calamity resulted. The cookery got burned. Oh no, he fucked up again! <laughs> the woman returned in time to save the breakfast from entire destruction, and she promptly brought the king out of his dreams with a brisk and cordial tongue lashing. Then, seeing how troubled he was over his violated trust, she softened at once and was all goodness and gentleness toward him. The boy made a hearty and satisfying meal and was greatly refreshed and gladdened by it. It was a meal which was distinguished by the curious feature that rank was waived on both sides, yet neither recipient of the favor was aware that it had been extended. The good wife had intended to feed this young tramp with broken victuals in a corner like any other tramp like a dog. But she was so remorseful for the scolding she had given him that she did what she could to atone for it by allowing him to sit at the family table and eat with his betters uh, on ostensible terms of equality with them. And the king, on his side, was so remorseful for having broken his trust after the family had been so kind to him that he forced himself to atone for it by humbling himself to the family level instead of requiring the woman and her children to stand and wait upon him while he occupied shit. their table oh, in the solitary state right, kid. due to his birth and dignity. It does us all good to unbend sometimes. Yeah, that is a yeah. note from Mark Twain. Just saying it does us all good to unbend. Yeah, I this, get it. Poor kid. This good woman was made happy all the day long by the applauses which she got out of herself for her magnanimous condescension to a tramp, and the king was just as self-complacent over his gracious humility towards a humble peasant woman. They both Everyone's... felt so proud of themselves for, for bringing themselves down or treating the other person as an equal. Imagine that. Listen, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's going to work. When breakfast was over, the housewife told the king to wash up the dishes. His command was a stagger for a moment, and then the king came near rebelling. But he said to himself, Alfred the Great watched the cakes. Doubtless he would have washed the dishes, too. Therefore, I will essay it. He made a sufficiently poor job of it, and to his surprise, too, for the cleaning of wooden spoons and trenchers had seemed an easy thing to do. It was a tedious and troublesome piece of work, but he finished at last. He was becoming impatient to get away on his journey now, however. Uh, now, however, he was not to lose this thrifty, thrifty dame's society so easily. She furnished him some little odds and ends of employment, which he got through uh, with after a fair fashion and with some credit. And then she set him and the little girls to paring some winter apples, but he was so awkward at this service that she retired him from it and gave him a butcher's knife to grind. Afterwards, she kept, carding, uh, kept him carding wool until he began to think that he had laid the good King Alfred out far enough in the shade for the present in the matter of showy menial heroisms that would read picturesquely in storybooks and histories. And that was quite a sentence. And so he was half-minded to resign. Yeah, he's done. Move on. Yeah. He's been doing, like, chores for them all day, trying to, like, you know, he's work for his, his meal. And his, he's done yeah, yeah. enough. 
And when just so he was half minded to resign, and when just after the noonday dinner, the good wife gave him a basket of kittens to drown, he did what? resign. <laughs> he didn't want to drink. What the fuck? I knew we were gonna get here. Uh, yeah, she gave him a basket of kittens to drown because there was too many kittens on the we farm. Too many and kittens. The- we can't. We can't have all these. Kittens. We need like a cat. Which one of the kids wants the job? They're like, I want to drown the kittens, Mom. You never let me drown the kittens. None, I think. She gave it to him to do, probably because she knows her her kids won't want to do it. Oh my god, he didn't want it. He's like, no, he I'm done do working. So he's like, uh, I think this is the time for me to leave. Yeah, <laughs> poor, poor fucking cats, man. What a rough break. At least he was just going to resign, for he felt that he must draw the line somewhere, and it seemed to him that to draw it at kitten drowning was about the right thing. When there was an interruption, the interruption was John Canty with a peddler's pack on his back and Hugo. Oh no, he'll drown those kittens though for a good pretty penny too. Well, we don't want to be found by him. We escaped them already twice now. The kid's got to hide back in the barn with the horse, his lover. The king discovered these rascals approaching the front gate before they had had a chance to see him. So he said nothing about drawing the line, but took up his basket of kittens and stepped quietly out the back way without a word. God damn it, he's going to kill the kittens! He left the creatures in an outhouse and hurried on into a narrow lane at the rear. So he just left the cats out or in an outhouse, actually, at the toilet. And then left. I feel bad for the cats that are in the shit house. I also feel bad for whichever person goes to the ki- kitten cat house and then <laughs> starts hearing all the kitties moaning and then thinks there's a ghost in the outhouse because that's going to be a rough day for them. <laughs> that is the end of that chapter. Hooray! So he escaped the farmhouse and he escaped from Canty and Hugo without being seen. I mean, escaped, quote unquote. He's out of there, but they're like he left. R- they're like close to him though. They could like find yeah. him if they were to go another direction. Yeah, and I would bet. I, I I don't know, but I would bet if they do have a conversation with this woman and these kids, then they're gonna be like, oh yeah, we just had a little vagrant boy who said he was the king, and then he blah 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 blah, blah you know, and they're gonna be like, ah, yeah, so many travelers in one day. Oh boy. Okay, yeah. what's the next chapter? Chapter twenty. Uh, 20 is, uh... Now remember, the the last two chapters have had a certain format to the title. The first was, uh, uh, The Prince and the Tramps. Uh The second was The Prince and the Peasants. This one's called, uh, The Prince and the Local Town Officials. (laughs) The Prince and the Hermit. Oh, cool. He's going to meet a man in the woods. And then he's going to be, <laughs> David, hermits like a quarantine person. We're hermits now. Yeah, yeah. Rich the, people uh, <laughs> used to, rich people in England used to let hermits live on their land because they would yeah. be like near the earth and have druid-like powers and stuff like that. And they'd that. be super fun, yeah. Yeah, but they just had free room and board. Yeah. Uh, you'll find this guy interesting. Uh, and I don't know what will happen. This We're going to have a pretty good cliffhanger, I think. At the end oh, okay. Of so here we go. The high hedge hid him from the house now, and so, under the impulse of a deadly fright, he let out all his forces and sped toward a wood in the distance. He never looked back until he'd almost gained the shelter of the forest, and then he turned and descried two figures in the distance. That was sufficient. He did not wait to scan them critically, but hurried on and never abated his pace until he was far within the twilight depths of the wood. Then he stopped, being persuaded that he was now tolerably safe. He listened intently, but the stillness was profound and solemn, awful even, and depressing to the spirits. 
At wide intervals, his straining ear did detect sounds, but they were so remote and hollow and mysterious that they seemed not to be real sounds, but only the moaning and complaining ghosts of departed ones. And so, sounds were yet more dreary than the silence which they interrupted. They might be a basket of kittens just hiding in the forest, though. (laughs) You never know. It was his purpose, in the beginning, to stay where he was the rest of the day, but a chill soon invaded his perspiring body, and he was at last obliged to resume movement in order to warm. He struck straight out through the forest, or straight through the forest, hoping to pierce to a road presently, but he was disappointed in this. He traveled on and on, but the further he went, the denser the wood became, apparently. The gloom began to thicken by and by, and the king realized that night was coming on. It made David, him shudder to th- I need to let you know that I'm terrified of getting lost in the woods. Like everything about Yeah. Every time I hear stories about that or like like Can you imagine stuff, like having to like just with what you have on your body right now no. and what would normally be in your pockets having to spend the night in the forest? No, there's no way I could create some sort of trap to kill a squirrel with iPhone uh, earbuds. Like I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever read Hatchet? Yes, I've read Hatchet. I know about Hatchet. It's, all of this is awful. Fucking bears live out in there. All that shit. Or you get your hand caught in a rock and you got to chop off your arm. It's all awful. Yeah, yeah. So he realized that night was coming on. It made him shudder to think of spending it in such an uncanny place. So he tried to hurry faster. But he only made this less... But he only made the less speed, for he could not now see well enough to choose his steps judiciously. Consequently, he began tripping over roots and tangling himself in vines and briars. And how glad he was when at last he came upon a glimmer of light. He approached it warily, stopping often to look about him and listen. It came from an unglazed window opening in a shabby little hut. He heard a voice now and felt a disposition to run and hide, but he changed his mind at once, for this voice was praying, evidently. He glided uh, to the one window of the hut, raised himself on tiptoe, and stole a glance within. The room was small. Its floor was the natural earth, beaten hard by use, and in a corner was a bed of rushes and a ragged blanket or two. Near it was a pail, a cup, a basin, and two or three pots and pans. What do you think the pail is for? Uh, it's either like a water pail or it's a pooping pail. I, I don't think know. it's a pooping pail. Yeah, he probably poops outside. Because he has a basin. He has a basin for water. Oh, maybe he's a pee-pee. Maybe it's a pee-pee bucket. <laughs> there was a short bench and a three-legged stool, and on the hearth remains of a fire were smoldering, before a shrine, uh, which was lighted by a single candle, knelt an aged man on an old wooden box uh, at his side, lay, lay open a book and a human skull. The man was of large, what bony frame. <laughs> his hair and whiskers were very long and snowy white. He was clothed in a robe of sheepskins, which reached from his neck to his heels. A holy hermit, said the king to himself. Now I am indeed fortunate. The hermit rose from his knees. The king knocked. A deep voice responded, Enter, but leave sin behind, for the ground whereon thou shalt stand is holy. Oh, he can't remove the cup from the hut or it'll explode. (laughs) The king entered and paused. The hermit turned a pair of gleaming, unrestful eyes upon him and said, Who art thou? I am the king, came the answer with placid simplicity. Welcome, king, cried the hermit with enthusiasm, then, bustling about with feverish activity and constantly saying, welcome, welcome, he arranged his bench, seated the king on it, by the hearth, threw some f***s on the fire, and finally fell to pacing the floor with a nervous stride. Ugh, these welcome. religious, these religious zealots, you know, it's like, right, I'm happy he's here, but I was just burning people on his fire, no. David? Why would these all you of a- know, You know that it means bundle of sticks i do know i read sticks. about it i read about it in the story where that guy was uh he uh hid in the bundles 
on his back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The devil is a devil or something. A mean in the ghoul? Was that a mean in the ghoul? No, I think it was the one with, um, I think it's the the, devil city brother. Oh, I think it was Big Klaus, Little Klaus. I think there oh, was, you know, it was. It was, <laughs> there Big was Klaus, bundles Klaus. of wood. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, welcome. Many have sought sanctuary here, but they were not worthy and were turned away. But a king who casts his crown away and despises the vain splendors of his office and clothes his body in rags to devote his life to holiness and the mortification of the flesh, he is worthy. He is welcome. Oh, here that's sh- actually not what happened, and I would love to get back to he that abide. <laughs> His days till death come. The king hastened to interrupt and explain, but the hermit paid no attention to him, did not even hear him apparently, but went right on with his talk with a raised voice and growing energy. And thou shalt be at peace here. None shall find out thy refuge to disquiet thee with supplications to return to that empty and foolish life which God hath moved thee to abandon. Thou shalt pray here, thou shalt study the book, thou shalt meditate upon the follies and delusions of this world, and upon the sublimities of the world to come. Thou shalt feed upon crusts and herbs and scum Scourge thy body with whips daily to purify thy soul. Thou shalt wear a hair shirt next to thy skin. Thou shalt drink water only, and thou shalt be at peace, yes, wholly at peace. For whoso comes to seek thee shall go away again, baffled. He shall not find thee, and he shall not molest thee. The old man, still pacing back and forth, ceased to speak aloud and began to mutter. The king seized this opportunity to state his case, and he did it with an eloquence inspired by uneasiness and apprehension. But the hermit went on muttering and gave no heed, and still muttering, he approached the king and said impressively, Shh, I will tell you a secret. Oh, no! (laughs) He bent down to impart it, but checked himself, assumed a listening attitude. After a moment or two, he went on tiptoe to the window opening, put his head out, and peered around in the glo- in the gloaming, and then came tiptoeing back again, put his face close down to the king's, and whispered, I am an archangel. What? He's a crazy guy. The king started violently and said to himself, Would God I were th- with the outlaws again, for lo, now I am the prisoner of a madman. <laughs> his, <laughs> his apprehensions were heightened, and they showed plainly on his face. In a low, excited voice, the hermit continued, I see you feel my atmosphere. There's awe in your face. None may be in the atmosphere and thus not be affected, for it is the very atmosphere of heaven. I go thither and return in the twinkling of an eye. I was made an archangel on this very spot. It is five years ago by angels sent from heaven to confer that awful dignity. Their presence filled this place with an intolerable brightness. They knelt to me, king. Yes, they knelt to me, for I was greater than they. I have walked in the courts of heaven and held speech with the patriarchs. Touch my hand. Be not afraid, touch it. There, now thou hast touched the hand which has been clasped by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. For I have walked in the golden courts. I have seen the deity face to face. He paused to give his speech effect, and then his face suddenly changed, and he started to started to his feet again, saying with an angry energy, Yes, I am an archangel, a mere archangel, I that might have been Pope. It is very true. I was told it from heaven in a dream twenty years ago. Ah, yes, I was to be Pope, and I should have been Pope, for heaven had said it. But the king dissolved my religious house, and I, poor, obscure, unfriended monk, was cast homeless upon the world, robbed of my mighty destiny." Here he began to mumble again and beat his forehead in futile rage with his fist. Now, and articulating a venomous curse, now and then a pathetic, Wherefore I am not but an archangel, that I should have been Pope! So now he's just, like, ranting, right? Like Yeah, the kid really got him going. He should have maybe not brought up this line of, uh, conversation. <laughs> 
So he went on for about an hour whilst the poor Jesus. little king sat and suffered. Then all at once the old man's frenzy departed and he became all gentleness. His voice softened and he came down out of the clouds and fell to prattling along so simply and so humanly that he soon won the king's heart completely. The old devotee moved the boy nearer to the fire and made him comfortable, doctored his small bruises and abrasions with a deft and tender hand, and then set about preparing and cooking a supper, chatting pleasantly all the time and occasionally stroking the lad's cheek or patting his head. In such a gently caressing way that in a little while all the fear and repulsion inspired by the archangel were changed to reverence and affection for the man. This happy state of things continued while the two ate supper then, and after a prayer before the shrine, the hermit put the boy to bed in a small adjoining room, tucked him as snugly and lovingly as a mother might, and so, with a parting caress, left him and sat down by the fire, began to poke at the brands in an absent and aimless way. Presently he paused and tapped his forehead several times with his fingers as if trying to recall some thought which had escaped from his mind. Apparently, he was unsuccessful. Now he started quickly up. Maybe he needs to punch his head harder to remember the things. (laughs) Now he started quickly up and entered the guest's room and said, Thou art king? Yes, was the response, drowsily uttered. What king? Of England. Of England. Then Henry is gone. Alack, it is so. I am his son. A black frown settled down upon the hermit's face, and he clenched his bony hands with a vindictive energy. He stood a few moments, breathing fast and swallowing repeatedly, and then said in a husky voice, Dost know it was he that turned us out into the world, houseless and homeless? No, was I no was res- just a little kid and I don't know anything. Also, it was 20 years ago, so the kid wasn't even alive. He wasn't even alive. He was barely, he was barely even a little twinkle in his dad's uh, testicles. Or maybe it, was, maybe it was like five or six years ago. Because it was 20 years ago he had the dream that he should be Pope. But it was five years ago that the angels came here to this spot to make him an archangel. So listen, sometime, listen, time is irrelevant for this person. He's yeah. a hermit. We're all in quarantine, David. I don't even know what day it is, okay? There was no response. The old man be- bent down and scanned the boy's reposeful face and listened to his placid breathing. He sleeps. He sleeps soundly. And the frown vanished away and gave place to an expression of evil satisfaction. A smile flitted across the dreaming boy's features. The hermit muttered, So... His heart is happy, and he turned away. He went stealthily about the place, seeking here and there for something, and now and then halting to listen, now jerking his head around and casting a quick glance toward the bed, and always muttering, always mumbling to himself. At last he found what he seemed to want, a rusty old butcher knife and a whetstone. Then he crept to his place by the fire, sat down, and began to wet the knife softly on the stone, still muttering, mumbling, ejaculating. The winds sighing around the lonely place, the mysterious voices of the night floated out in the distances. The shining eyes of venturesome mice and rats peered out at the old man from cracks and coverts, and he went on with his work, wrapped, absorbed, and noted none of these things. At long intervals, he drew his thumb along the edge of his knife and nodded his head with satisfaction. It grows sharper, he said. He's yes, going to kill the sharper. kid. The kid's got to get out of there. He's going to ejaculate <laughs> and kill him. <laughs> he took no note of the flight of time, but worked tranquilly on, entertaining himself with his thoughts, which broke out occasionally in articulate speech. His father wrought us evil. He destroyed us and is gone now to the eternal fires. Yes, down into the eternal fires. He escaped us, but it was God's will. Yes, it was God's will. We must not repine. He hath not escaped the fires. No, he hath not escaped the fires, the consuming, unpitying, remorseless fires, and they are everlasting. And so he wrought and still wrought, mumbling, chuckling, a low, rasping chuckle at at times, and at times breaking again into words. It was his father that did it all. I am but an archangel, but for him I should be Pope. 
The king stirred. The hermit sprang noiselessly to the bedside and went down upon his knees, bending over the prostrate form with his knife uplifted. The boy stirred again. His eyes came open for an instant, but there was no speculation in them. They saw nothing. The next moment, his tranquil breathing showed that his sleep was sound once more. The hermit watched and listened for a time, keeping his position and scarcely breathing. Then he slowly lowered his arms, presently crept, crept away, saying, It is long past midnight. It is not best that he should cry out, lest by accident someone be passing. He glided about in his hovel, gathering a rag here, a thong there, and another one yonder. Then he returned, and by careful and gentle handling, he managed to tie the king's ankles together without waking him. Next, he essayed to tie the wrists. He made several attempts to cross them. David, but... I don't like what's happening. What's going to happen to our <laughs> poor little prince? Next, he essayed to tie the wrists. He made several attempts to cross them, but the boy always drew one hand away or the other away, just Ugh. as the cord was ready to be applied. They're always but moving their last... wrists. It's so mm -hmm. hard to bind people. But at last, when the archangel was almost ready to despair, the boy crossed his hands himself, and the next moment they were bound. Almost now like God passed... wanted this to happen, David. Now a bandage was passed under the sleeper's chin and brought up over his head and tied fast. And so softly, so gradually, and so deftly were the knots drawn together and compacted that the boy slept peacefully through it all without stirring. To be continued. Oh no! What's gonna happen to him? <laughs> yeah, so this, this whole hermit time took a, a real turn. This is a very dark turn. I thought it was gonna I be didn't... like friendly hermit, finally gets a, gets a chance. Someone was gonna be like, oh, let me help you on your way. And nope. This guy, this, this is guy was done wrong. This is a straight up horror movie. This is a bad thing, don't. I mean, this is the fairy tale. This is the kid we teach other kids. Don't go to a hermit's house. Yeah. Oh, uh, I okay. So like, I I do think what's gonna happen is that the prince's friend guy is gonna come along the road and murder this guy. Um, but like, I don't know if that's gonna happen or not. Can I? Okay, because you said that. I'm going to, I have to go to where I have the link because I didn't copy this over. But let me tell you, I, I did see the title of the next chapter. Yeah, give me, give me a little tease, David. Give me a little tease. Okay. So what did you just say has happened? Is that the prince's friend, like Hendon, right? Yeah, uh, he's going to like go down the, he's going to be like going through the forest or something. He's going to find this place. He's going to save this king. He's going to murder this archangel. Son of a the bitch. The title of chapter 21 is called Hendon to the Rescue. Yay! <laughs> so I guess I didn't let that cliffhanger last That long, cliffhanger lasted <laughs> all but two and a half minutes, David. I was very excited that you guessed it right. That was good. To be fair, though, I am a little afraid of, not sexual, but the molestation that this guy is going to do to the yeah. kid. Also, I, I, I hate to say it, the, the, king is, the new king is going to have PTSD because of all of this. Like, a lot of terrible things have happened to my, him. My real hope is that in when he, when, if he is restored to the throne, he's going to take all of these experiences and have more of a mind towards helping the common man <laughs> and the poor folk. And those who are uh, uh, without privilege, right? Well, like, that will be the hope. That's how I know this story is a story of fiction, because that fiction, doesn't yeah. sound like royalty of any country. <laughs> that wishful thinking of the 1800s. Boy, good thing 150 years later, we've certainly worked that out. Yeah, everything's different today. We don't have plagues anymore. <laughs> Everything is different today. <laughs> Well, David, right. I, I appreciate you lifting my spirits. I do. I want to know more. You, this is a good cliffhanger. I want to know. It's what's a good story, happen. right? Yeah. Also, if you would have told me that this kid was going to meet a druid in a forest who was going to tell him that he's a crazy person and then tie him up while he's sleeping, would have had no idea that this was going to happen. 
David, yeah. I think this Prince of the Popper thing really should be a movie. I'm telling you, it's there so good. There are movies about it. <laughs> there definitely are movies. I don't think there's Prince any the movies with this crazy guy there's in the hole. I, I, there, is, there is an old one on, like... Disney Plus? On, like, Amazon, or, or... It might be Disney, actually. Yeah, I think it is Disney Plus. That's, like, from the 60s or 70s or something. Listen, yeah. I, we might need to speed these stories up so I can watch that movie and compare and contrast. But until I know <laughs> it, I'm not going to spoil all of this. Well, I'm doing the best I can. You're doing great. He wrote a lot of words, this guy. Let's go to lessons, David. All right. Lessons. There's no lessons. I don't. I'm not learning anything. I gotta finish the whole story. I gotta finish all of this. Do I have? Have I been doing little lessons at the end of the stories? Uh, well, think about the first chapter when he was made to try to help the kid uh, beg and steal, right? And he didn't. Okay, so I guess the lesson there is you run your own plan. Listen, you can have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. I think the lesson there is plan D. If you have a certain set of ideals or values that you hold to, and someone is like, "No, you have to do this," like stick stick by your stick by your shit, right? Um, if you if you encounter if you encounter something that you think is paranormal investigate it because it probably is just like a normal it's probably, probably just a squeaky door or a horse you're probably more afraid than you should be especially if you don't know all the information mm-hmm. um, that's a good you know lesson. listen it, people need to know that we have a problem. You need to spade and neuter your animals, or we're just going to drown them in the river. That's just <laughs> that something that's going to happen. That They're going to get drowned. Yes. And also with your cats, don't don't have an outdoor cat. I, I'm just going to go to this. This is how stray cats happen: is you have an outdoor cat, and it goes and fucks or gets fucked another cat, and then babies happen because that's how babies happen. That's how babies happen. <laughs> um, and then I don't, I don't like the way this sounds, but I'm, I, I'm gonna have to say it because you know I you don't trust hermits. Listen, there's a reason why they're. <laughs> I think you need to find See, out why they're living out there before you enter into their hobble hole. I think we're getting, we're getting conflicting lessons on this thing because I have both the lesson of you can trust the uh, kindness of strangers, right? The right. woman and the children gave him breakfast. Were very nice. Like everything was great. But then the hermit's going to try to kill him, and the the vagabonds were nope. terrible, David, right? Like, I so... didn't, David, I don't think there's any conflicting information here. I believe what you're saying is trust women and children, and don't trust ah. men! Don't trust go, men! Go. Men are awful! That's basically, yeah, that's basically the thing. Sierra's <laughs> looking at me from across the room, shaking her head. Yeah, don't trust men. I think that's the I'm biggest think... takeaway. Have we had any bad women? Oh, we have. We've had the the grandma to him who gave yeah. him the worst beating of his yeah, life. Yeah, but like she was, she, she has other. But other than that, every other woman in the story has been like a saint, like, a <laughs> saint, a wonderful saint. And I would yeah. say we should believe ninety nine percent of women, because <laughs> sometimes there's a mean old witchy woman out there. Well, David, I'm listen. We're gonna have to do more of these. We got to do the kids' story soon. I'm so excited yeah. that you read to me more. Thanks everybody for joining us for another special inside-only episode of Story Time. We did it. I hope, like the last one, that the timing on these double recordings work out. Because yeah, yeah, I have yeah, to piece yeah, yeah. Together oh, you have so it's... much work to do. Uh, FYI, I coughed at the 16-minute mark-ish, and I muted my mic, but I realized it's gonna be on. But it's still gonna be on the regular recording of the other one I'm doing besides this camera. What? You, no, you're, you're, cause you're both the call we're on and your recording are recording through the same mic, right? 
Ooh, they should. See, David so Letterman. If you, if you just, muted your I'm mic, you muted you know, the okay? recording. I'm just letting you know, okay? Just they, a little, the people little don't need to know this part okay. of it. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm Michael Santel. I'm David Miller. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody, keep safe. Wash, Wash your, your hands. hands. Put your masks on. Look like look like Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. It's for totally real? Like, cool. Put your masks on now. It is the recommendation. Don't, don't. It does feel weird the first time you do it. You feel like you might be like, am I taking this too far? No, you're not. No, it's fine. We're, you are we're all being doing it. a reminder to the other people of what they should be doing. You be the and good someone, example gives you shit for it you just tell them to go fuck themselves and tell yeah. them that david miller and michael santel said yeah, so yeah if someone gives you shit tell them to say say open up your mask and then when they open yeah. up spit in their mouth and no don't do them, that no don't do that don't that's do not that? what we're advising right. you to do me and david yeah, need to talk about you, strategies off air then all right that's that's it for us <laughs> all right let's go cower back in our bedrooms i'll talk to you later all right okay bye bye that's our show, thanks for coming round Don't be sad, no need to frown We'll have more stories, don't throw a fit Goodbye one and all, and we'll see you in a bit If someone gives you shit, just tell them about our podcast Tell them about our podcast, yeah, tell them to read about the Bible Because that's all bullshit, and we need to depend yeah. on people, everybody Wash your hands, keep everyone safe